Ensign's final personal log. It's been two weeks on the Pathfinder since I was rescued. I've been going through counselling sessions, I've been through all sorts of tests, I have written as many reports as I could possibly think to write. I'm just looking forward to this all being over. But there's this one little nagging problem of getting rid of this device that P gave me. Speaking with the engineer on board, speaking with the counsellor, we're going to try some sort of therapy reenactment session. Basically, I'm going to record the next episode as if I was still trapped in the bubble. And we're going to use some different tactics to try and disconnect me from the device. And hopefully that will stop any pain so that we can finally destroy this thing. Captain! Doctor? How is our patient? Responding well. He's passed his physical and his recovery therapy sessions have come along in strides. However, the residual chronotons in his system are causing a kind of temporal aphasia. What is that when it's at home? Funny you should say that, as it's his displacement in time that seems to have him talking about himself as though he is a part of our universe, as well as being from some other dimension simultaneously. His mind is literally not at home, and it's that device that's pulling him away. Can he be cured? I'm attempting an old therapeutic treatment from Timmins 4 called soul forging. That's an ancient practice, and usually only used by, well, empathic species like Betazoids and Rustonians. I thought so too at first, but his ability to see multiple dimensions seems to be suited to it. I have him in our therapy suit now with the counselor talking with people from the year 2020 on that device. I'm observing on this monitor. We're doing a little role play as though he were back at his desk at Temporal Investigations to anchor his mind back to our reality. I have engineering flooding the room with anti-chronotons to try and sever his temporal link. There will be no effect on the ship. None that we can see. We have a containment field in place. Leave my ship alone. I'm telling you. Keep me appraised, Doctor. Aye, Captain. Okay, Ensign. You sit here at this desk. You call someone from 2020 on the device, right? Understood, sir. I'll be standing over there, outside the containment field, increasing the anti-chronotons, and hopefully I'll split your connection to the temporal device. Ensign, I see you are nervous, but try and focus on the roleplay, yes? Doing the show as you did before. And we will see after the procedure, yeah? Thank you, Counselor. Let's see what happens. Calling up 2063. There should be guests popping in, Steve and Andy. Oof, just felt a tingling sensation on my back. I think I can feel the anti-chronotons working. Space time. The ever-expanding frontier. These are the records of the most needlessly complicated rewatch of the Star Trek franchise ever. Its mission? To locate every second and contemplate every eon. From outside time to the Big Bang all the way to the end of all existence. To do what no sane entity has ever done before. This is the Temporal Trek Podcast. Oh, hey, we've got one. Should I sign in this way? Yeah, exactly. Everyone has to sign in that way. It's all good. (laughs) Excellent. Right, I'm just trying to track down our other two guys. Um, The guy, Sean Vandaloo, he might not be able to make it. Uh, He's currently away uh, for a six month anniversary with his girlfriend so we don't know whether he can actually make it but uh, it it all depends if he's got good Wi-Fi. Uh, The (laughs) other guy Steve. I thought he said good wife relationship (laughs) wasn't it? Just good Wi-Fi. Good good wife and he's bringing his girlfriend so you know it's all together. Right right, there we go let's see if Steve's around. Uh, Last online 30 minutes ago that's not worrying at all. 
conversation happens, so let's see if he signs in. Right. So you're still working on the resources? Um, yeah, um, I'm taking a break from it at the moment, obviously for the holidays, but tons of, of planning and work on that. It's great. It's absolutely the kind of thing I want to get into long term. Mm. So I'm trying to build up the kind of, you know, goodwill with the with particular individuals doing some work with some A-level um, conference um, group and also with um, St. Mary's University as well. Mm. So I'm trying to build up some good um Good relationships and goodwill, um, so that hopefully, maybe in the future, if you turn to something a little bit more, more uh, full time, yeah. <laughs> that would be great. Um, but uh, you know, I've, I've been working on these relationships for about ten years. Ever so slow, it's like you know, drip feeding. Hi, how are you? Hi, remember me? Hi, anything I can do for you? Hi, how is it going this year? Until eventually, I'd, I'd wear them oh, down. Nice. <laughs> so I go, fine, do some work for me. It's like, yes. Even the mightiest mountain is brought down by the river. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's kind of the plan. Is the lighting good? I'm just yeah, that's fine. That's right. Oh, obviously, uh, it's not visual, so um, it oh, doesn't matter. No, no, no. Sorry. I mean, uh, I, I would normally do screen captures, but I don't want to do that to anyone, so that's, uh, that's okay. <laughs> I put on a shirt and everything. For uh, this, well, you did that for us. That's the main thing. Well, uh, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Oh, well, no, you made uh, your notes uh, far quicker than I did. Um, I've got my notes right here. I'm typing them up. Excellent, excellent, <laughs> excellent. Um, yeah, so um, general format of the show is that it's much more of an informal conversation between us. You know, we've watched the movie, or in my case, because in the podcast show that I do, I'm sort of playing a character of me, but I'm actually from the future, and this is my history, so I'm looking back at history. Oh, right. and, you know, back, back when I was at school in the Starfleet Academy, I, I studied this, and this was fantastic. So I'll be oh, sort of right. referring to this as like, you know, I learned about this in school, that sort of thing. Mm. So just ignore me when I'm doing that bit. It's just That's really fine. Uh, but it's then me saying, well, in your universe, um, how did you find this? Did you enjoy it as a movie? Because in your universe, it's a movie. It's a piece of entertainment. Oh, right. Okay. That you know, there's, there's this two, two parallel universes going on. <laughs> Um, but uh, that, that's generally the idea but I'll start with introductions uh, once Steve's in I'll probably keep it as if I ask a question we'll do um, uh, by surname as it's Steve Bauman then it's you and then we'll do Vandaloo at the end because he's, he's got a V yep. so he might as well wait to the end um, uh, but generally it's just you know oh I really like this scene because or anything like mm -hmm. that um, favourite moments that sort of thing I'll start off with, you know, um, introduce yourself to the listeners. You don't have to go into detail uh, if you don't want to use your name or anything. You I'll, to... I'll just talk like simple stuff about my interests rather than anything particularly uh, yeah, serious. That's absolutely fine. Um, I'm a philosophy teacher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just a sci fi fan. That's fine. Yeah. I'll keep it to that. Yeah. Um, and then um, I'll open it to general thoughts on Trek in, in general. You know, where, where have you come into it? because the, you know, this episode is sort of a mixed bag of everybody. If Sean comes in, we've got a full fan. We've got yourself, who you've seen Star Trek, but you wouldn't consider yourself like full-on, you know, everything about the universe. And then Steve, somewhere in between the two of you. So it's a nice sort of cross-section of everybody. Right. So a real Trekkie, yeah. a real non-Trekkie, and a casual Trek fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Am I allowed to admit that I like the Star Trek movies? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Everybody, <laughs> no, people love the Star Trek movies. Are, yeah. are they featuring in this timeline? 
Yes, yeah. So every every episode of this podcast is um, a, a new scene based on time. So um, yeah, on the time. Every, flow every, it, every scene. Are you including the Star Trek movies as part of the canon? Oh yes. So, but then, how does that work for your character's history? Because of course there is. They're looking at their history, but that's two different timelines. So they're looking at ah. dual timeline history. So uh, you're doing the Kel- Kelvin timeline, so the, the, the changeover. Um, this is going to sound a bit crazy, but when I first started the episodes, um, I sort of had it as I'm playing this character who got tricked by a Q who was trapped in a prison to watch uh, all of Star Trek as history to try and find a way out for him. Basically, he was sort of torturing me by making me watch the show on this device he gave me. Mm. It allows me to not only see my timeline, it allows me to see your timeline to see the real history. It also allows me to see parallel timelines as well. So that's how I can do episodes about the Mirror now, Universe, the Kelvin Universe. What's the Kelvin Universe? Is that the Kelvin Star Trek is, movies? That's the new Star Trek movie. So that's that big J.J. Abrams reboot movie. And well. what's the Mirror Universe? Mirror Universe, the evil Mirror Spock. Do you remember sort of seeing it like the the, the goatee Spock? No, I don't remember uh, that. In the Mirror Universe, uh, there is a complete opposite of everybody in Star Trek, but everything is evil. So instead right. of the Federation, it's the Empire. The Empire have taken over uh, the Klingon homeworld, the Vulcans, the Romulans, everything. They have just wiped everyone out. Um, and in fact, in this thing, when I freeze it at one hour thirty-eight minutes, I'm gonna sort of just do a spiel for about five minutes on a small scene in the Enterprise TV show where they show it happening in the Mirror Universe. But it's uh, Zephyr Cochrane kills. He shoots. Yeah, you told me that the other day. Yeah, yeah. Case over. So that's actually the Mirror Universe. So it's all the evil side of the world, and then right. I'll jump back in and say, oh, um, back in at one hour thirty-eight minutes forty seconds, we're gonna do the hopeful ending. Right. I'm wondering where Steve's got to. Are you playing the movie whilst uh, you're doing I, this? I don't tend to, but feel free to in the in the background. Uh, it doesn't matter. Oh, you've got I'm... the movie again. I don't have the movie yeah. again. So uh, of course, yeah. Well, I've written my notes in uh, in the order of how they would appear That's in the movie. Fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. That's all right. Um, yeah, no, um, my notes follow the exact same thing. I, I try to do it beat by beat, but because there's so much here, I'm going to try and break mm. it into general scenes. So, like, the first bit is the attack, which is everything from when the Borg shoot the, the f- facility all the way up to them trying to find Zephyr Cochrane and wondering if he's dead. So it's a whole raft of things we can talk about. Yeah, yeah. All that kind of stuff. Just because it's such a huge episode and trying to keep it into one hour is just going to be a nightmare. Um, I wonder where Steve's got to. He's just had a baby, so I imagine oh, right. something's probably come up. But if it comes down to it, it could just be the two of us, which is absolutely fine. <laughs> uh, oh, I've got lots to say, don't you worry. Hey, that's fine, that's alright. Uh, idea... uh, when, I, when I talk about um, other things that it reminded me of, things like yeah. um, Stargate, Red Dwarf, yep. do I talk about them as a viewer or as though it were alternative histories no no um right uh, as a viewer because in your universe anything that is sci-fi is is, is a, t- is a but, tv show so it's absolutely fine 
Right, okay. So I, I talk about it as I don't have to like go go along with the whole well in this uh, you know documentary of this other world. <laughs> you can do it if you want. I'll be, I'll be more than happy to do that. Um, that will set up all my uh, April Fools episodes where I want to do different uh, different series completely that have right. a time travel episode in them. But uh, um, but we'll go to that. But yeah, feel free if you want to play up to it. Go by all means. Um, yeah, because uh, I was going to mention. Uh, the, the Terminator um, when it's the big showdown he snaps the neck and it's sort of all silvery and the queen is sort of dead it just kind of put me in mind of the Terminator you know the skulls and things um, where is he Steve Bowman where are you I just I decided whilst watching it that if I had to choose an organisation to be part of from sci-fi I think I'd rather be part of the SGC Ooh, than the yeah. Federation. Oh. Possibly more so even than the Rebels in Star Wars. Because the Rebels in Star Wars, they're also kind of just like tossed away. But at least in the SGC, they've got the mantra of never leave a man behind, ah. which I think Star Trek could probably learn from that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think the amount of red shirting that goes on in Star Trek, they could definitely learn from, from Stargate. But they're well, already no. dead. There's no one to go back for, you know? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> so it's just blatant. He's just a, a side character. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I will be mentioning this in the recording. Yeah, you? yeah no, that's absolutely fine. Um, I could prompt that at the beginning actually because um, when the attack first happens Lily sort of shouts it's the E-Corps and then later on Picard sort of says I'm not part of the Eastern Coalition so we could start talking about you know factions and like would you want to be part of the Eastern Coalition what do you think the Eastern Coalition right. is you know that kind of stuff um, uh, and obviously I'm not allowed to tell you what it really is because otherwise I'm breaking my own primary directive about you know spoiling your future history and all oh, right. Stuff, so, you know, Can you tell me now? I can't tell you now. So that's it. Can you tell me now, though? No, no way. This is being recorded. You said. The, the, oh, this is being recorded as no, well. Oh. Um, it's just the automatic uh, recorder for Skype kicks in as soon as you sort of start the call. Um, so it's already recording there. Come on, Mr. Steve. We need to get started. We can't wait. If he doesn't show up in the next five minutes or so, I think we'll just leave it there and. We'll just have a good chat with the two of us. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Thank you, worry. That's, exactly. that's all good for me. It's always good. Excellent. There are a few fantastic lines in this movie. I'm oh saying. yeah, there are some, some great ones. And actually, there's um, there was one talking point I want to bring up later on um, uh, when they start talking about his statue. Yes. And how he's remembered, and obviously with all the latest news that's been going on with you know taking statues down, yeah. do we rewrite history, yeah. which is a whole new you know view of this movie that you know was never really intended but it's something else to talk about yeah i'll tell you what that is an interesting one about that that i'm trying to cancel history and um it's 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 bonkers isn't it what's happening with all of that um i can't i know where i stand politically i know where i if i was in the u.s i definitely know where i'd stand politically yeah but um no it's i don't know it's partly coming over here but not quite not the same so level. radically yeah. I, I, I don't think that our politics is quite so what's, what's the word um, divided and I mean you know yeah you've got those who are Labour those who are Tory but I don't think it defines people over here quite as much as it divides people over there in America you're either a Democrat or you're a Republican you either are a football player or you're a basketball player that's it you know it's very very divided you're one or the other 
um, and they take that stuff so seriously. Uh, it almost as though that is their identity. You are a Democrat football player. You're a Republican basketball player. Um, but over here, it's almost like we don't really care. You know, we, we <laughs> we've had so much more history than them. We just, you know, we know as as Dorian Gray in um, the League of Victoria Gentlemen says, we've seen all empires fall. You know, we've seen it so many times. Like we know it's not going to last. So we're not. We're just disillusioned by the idea. You know, for crying out loud, we, we voted Boris Johnson to be our prime minister. You know, we don't take it seriously. <laughs> But they still do, so you know it's it's almost that kind of thing. But um, uh, yeah, I'm cracking far be it for me to actually say on radio. But uh, I don't I don't do politics. I, I never really have been into politics. I've tried several times, but as as you know, our our history, you know, philosophy is my thing, and so I would much rather spend all of my time talking about the theoretical way it ought to be than spending any kind of time discussing how it actually is um, because for me the way it actually is is just so accidental and it will probably change in five years and ten years so I'd rather talk about the uh, the, the philosophical theory of how things ought to be uh, and so I don't think I could survive in America I, I couldn't take seriously the stuff that they take so seriously um, but I don't know. Maybe it's just. Uh, well, I mean, if if we do like get British um, cynicism. Yeah. Well, if we do get um, uh, Steve in on this one, obviously being in California, they you would think they're a bit more progressive thinking and all this sort of thing. But you never know. He might be one of these. Don't take oh, down statues. I don't like. We I don't, don't like word progressive. I don't <laughs> like word progressive. It's it's a misnomer of a term. It's it's the wrong word to use. Um, but um, see, this is the thing. You know. You'd have two people arguing about whether they should tear a statue down. They'd have me say, "Well, actually, the word you should be using for this." <laughs> and I'll be talking about that side of the argument. I'll be having the meta conversation while they're all discussing whether or not to keep the statue or not. <laughs> well, actually, I think you're fine. That we're not being progressive technically. <laughs> it's not a statue; it's a likeness. <laughs> But that's totally what I would do. Yeah, that's, that's why we studied philosophy. That's, that's why we did it. That's why we, that's why we, we did, did it, man. Absolutely. Right, I don't think he's turning up. He hasn't been online for the past forty-five minutes, according to If he joins, he joins. Exactly. We'll bring him in later. Yeah. Uh, we'll get it started. Okay. Right. Uh, I'll do my intro bit. Then I'll say I am joined today by, and then introduce yourself, talk however you wish, um, yeah. and then we'll go from there. Right. Let's get started. Space time, the ever-expanding frontier. These are the records of the most needlessly complicated rewatch of the Star Trek franchise ever. Its mission? To observe Trek from outside existence to the Big Bang all the way to the end of the universe. To seek out every second and contemplate every eon. To do what no sane entity has ever done before. Hello and welcome back to the Temporal Trek podcast. I have uh, returned, I guess you could say. Um, I've escaped from Q's clutches, only to be slapped back behind a desk with this device that I was left with afterwards. And I am in the 21st century, but I'm in the year 2063. Um, I'm going to be talking with a guest in just a moment, but uh, just to say, 
there might be some format changes with the show. Um, we used to rate things in the LCAR system. We're still going to do that for this episode, but who knows? Maybe in the future I might change things up, depending on what Starfleet want to do with this technology that I've got hold of. I'm going to introduce my guest now. For this week's episode, I am joined by a very special guest, uh, a longtime friend, and uh, a man I was very pleased to call my best man at my wedding, and it is Andrew. Andrew, are you there? Hello. I'm here. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. Excellent. It's great to have you. And I'm very, I'm very, very pleased as well to be able to say that uh, I am joining a man who was actually one of my two best men at my wedding. So uh, it's, uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be able to reciprocate um, in that way. I strong-armed him. I, I strong-armed him into making it. Um, <laughs> I, had a, I had a drag him all the way to Italy for mine. Can I just make a good point? <laughs> drag, is, drag, drag is the wrong Yeah, word. it was, it was terrible. Like, oh, no, Italy. I have to go all the way to Italy. Oh, no. Um, but uh, it's so much easier in my age. You know, you just transport over. It's much, much, much easier. Of course, um, yeah. Right. Um, before we get started on First Contact, which is, is widely regarded as, as one of the, the best of the movies, uh, we say we've got a lot to talk about. I want to get Andrew's thoughts on Trek in general, where he's coming into it, how into the franchise he might be or not be. What are your thoughts on Trek and where did you come into it? How did you first experience Trek? <clears throat> well... Um, I would definitely consider myself to be a casual Trek fan. Um, I actually remember um, some years ago, I don't know if you're going to remember this actually, but one time I was actually as a teacher in school, um, being a teacher as I am, um, and one of the deputies was talking about um, a man who had a dream to abolish racism, and his name was Gene Roddenberry. And I was thinking to myself, what is she talking about? And so I actually presented this idea to you. Of course, he and Martin Luther King were friends. The whole point of such a thing was to get over racism. And I was thinking, really? And you you introduced me into an aspect of Star Trek, which I completely never noticed, never realised how, um, and I'm going to use the term progressive here <laughs> in, in, in the way that's, that's intended, how progressive it was towards um, racial equality. Um, and I didn't realize that. I just thought it was a sci-fi show. Um, so I, I respect and appreciate the steps that Star Trek took to overcome those social barriers. And I think that's quite quite impressive. Um, having said that, I've never followed Star Trek in any kind of you know deep you know um, serious kind of way I, I used to watch episodes of voyager uh, because we had the channel and it was on at a certain time of the day when i was home i enjoyed aspects of that uh, that's definitely in your future so you haven't come or in the future the show this um cast you haven't come to that yet um aspect i really really liked um i uh, dipped in and out of episodes the odd episode of um you know picard um, you know, the was it Next Generation, um, and I and I enjoyed the Star Trek movies, the J.J. Abrams ones. I I completely appreciate that they broke a lot of a lot of hearts and a lot of rules. Um, but I suppose uh, they they did to Star Trek what uh, Disney have done to Star Wars. <laughs> and, uh, but as a casual trekker, it's okay for me. So I could see, I could totally see how seriously others would take this. <laughs> but let's uh, uh, I think it's best if I leave it there. Yeah, I'm not going to open up any Star Wars wounds for you. That's absolutely fine. Please don't. I'm not going to go don't. there. Um, uh, but uh, yes, uh, surely if I ever do a, a Star Wars podcast, then I'd certainly need to come to you because I think you've got a lot to say on certain things. <laughs> I've got things. a lot to say on that. <laughs> 
Um, so with this movie specifically, do you remember sort of first watching it? Um, how did you first experience? Did you see it in the cinemas? It was back in nineteen ninety six. No, I did. I didn't see it in the cinema. Um, I wasn't that really into into Trek back then. Um, I remember seeing it um, way back when exactly it was i'm not certain it must have been in the 90s must have been uh, on tv um and i don't think i watched it from the very beginning i think i i, I kind of like turned the channel it was on i watched it because i was familiar with the show familiar with some of the characters though i didn't really quite get all the dynamics um i didn't quite get why um you know, some of them could suddenly see when before they couldn't see and how some of them could like replace skin parts. I, I, I was a little bit lost on some of those different things. But um, no, I remember watching it, remember enjoying it. Um, I think as most people, I loved Picard's character in it. Um, but I think he's been just one of those iconic characters um, over the years. You know what you're going to get with him. Uh, well, at least he did. I don't know. I haven't seen the new Picard. I've heard mixed things about it. But um, yeah, so I, I watched it and I enjoyed it. Um, I don't think the questions that I have now about it were questions that occurred to me back then. Um, but we'll come to those, of course, as, as we go through it. But certainly now viewing it, having seen more Star Trek, having watched more reviews on Star Trek, having been more familiar with the lore, I think I, I have a lot more questions to ask and things that maybe don't make as much sense um, and, and more that I could contribute to conversation now than I would have back then back then I was even more casual of watcher but now I've got a bit more of a more of an eye for it mm. no, that's fantastic that's it um, for me yes obviously uh, too young to go and watch it in the cinemas uh, this, uh, the age rating for this movie put us just outside the bracket of being able to go and see it uh, because the Borg are sort of there's a gore aspect to it mm. there's a grotesque element to it um, the rating over here in the UK meant that a uh, 13-year-old couldn't go into the cinemas to watch it. Yeah. Um, but I remember being so disappointed by that because I'd seen pretty much every trailer. Uh, I'd, been, <laughs> I'd been to the movies and they played a, like a teaser trailer, which was yeah. like, allowed for my age group of audience. And, you know, just the idea, uh, well, you saw um, the Borg ship flying into the the Delta symbol um, and it sort of exploded sideways yeah. and just said Star Trek First Contact and it did that in the old 90s way of doing the trailers and it just mm. got you so pumped up and I was like why yeah. can't I can't, why can't I see this um, but uh, I think I think they really they really hit it at, at the beginning of <clears throat> the Borg in Star Trek they really got the, the menacingness of it I mean as, as is described you know the bionic zombies and this idea that the, the, the dread and the, the terror of zombies is that they are this mindless unstoppable force and to be able to translate that into a sci-fi setting i remember you and i've discussed this in the past regarding uh, fiction on how you create that mindless menacing um villain that isn't just like an enemy that you can reason with because of the nature of that enemy. Um, I remember we considered call, calling it the Verge, didn't we, mm. at one point? Um, and and the Borg just just had that had that really menacing quality because they were just that bionic zombies, you know, sci-fi zombies, and that's really terrifying. Not just that, that they are they're unstoppable, you know, because of the nature of the kind of thing they are. So yeah, they they definitely had it. They they had that that terror about them. Um, which made them an intriguing villain to fight. Mm, 
absolutely uh, just the antithesis of what the federation is just mm. you know um they celebrate individuality and the borg are the complete opposite they work yeah. as, as a single mind the collective uh, with some sort of guiding force which we'll be mentioning later on yeah uh, which is slightly uh, ill-defined but um we'll come to I, that I hear that's quite controversial it is them. yes um i mean certainly in my time uh in the history books there's quite a lot of history professors who uh, debate it quite a lot right. um but uh but there we go i tell you what let's get started on the episode well, so i think yeah. we've got a lot to say so we are yes. going to start at timestamp 13 minutes and 17 seconds now this is based on uh my dvd uh collection this is not based on the netflix timestamps as none of the movies are on netflix here in the uk so if you are uh, in any other country you might be able to watch it but it might be a slightly different timestamp to what mm. i'm allowing we're going to open up with the attack on the compound. The uh, Borg ship is over orbit in Earth, and uh, the Enterprise appears. The Borg are attacking this compound for some reason in the mountains, which we will find out later. Um, all the way through, the Enterprise destroys the ship. They beam straight down to the planet Earth, and uh, they try to find if a certain person called Zephram Cochrane is still alive. Uh, they managed to make it into a missile base, only to find that the missile's still there and someone is shooting at them. Um, before we get any further into it, we get introduced to two characters very early on, Lily and Zephram Cochran. Any thoughts on these two characters? Did you like them? Did you really sort of get what they were all about straight away, or did it take a while to get to like them? No, you, you pretty much uh, connect, particularly with with Lily. I mean, she's just no nonsense badass with a gun. I mean, they 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 kind of throw it in your face. Like you've got to respect this woman. Um, and uh, you know, in true Star Trek, um, you know, um, philosophy that they they play this short black woman <laughs> to be the tough nut on earth. You know, just like look. This is equality in every possible way, um, and so I, I, you know, I appreciated that. I like the actress. I can't remember the the, uh, the, the name of the actress now, but she's also in Big Bang Theory. Yes. Uh, she's um, uh, Human Resources. So I quite like. I liked. I like. You know, in one in one uh, iteration, she's just just got this gun shooting people. This other one, she's a perfectly calm Human Resources director. <laughs> I just like. I just loved that uh, that scope that she had. Um, Cochrane, um, I think. As as it progresses through uh, through the story through the film and you kind of see what he's about, um, I think that they they hit it right um, with the mythology of the man. That of course everybody wants his picture. Everybody's talking about his statues. Everybody's doing that. And of course the whole reason why Picard is so so um, preoccupied with going down there is because of all of this history of who this man was. And then you, when you meet him, and the first thing he, Lily says, you know, we've got to get back to the, to the uh, Phoenix. To hell with the Phoenix! And he just runs off and gets drunk. And, and I think that gives you a real sense of when you've got a statue of a what was it? I think in um, <laughs> uh, Firefly um, was it episode uh, Jane Town, uh, where Jane says to to Mal, uh, they're probably putting the statue of me back up, and then. Uh, Mal replies and says, "It's my estimation that anybody who had a statue made of him was probably one sort of asshole or another." <laughs> and I was like, "Well, this is it, really, isn't it? You know, we put a statue up to commemorate our our ideals of that person, the best part of that person, the bit that can 
give us vision and hope for ourselves. So we are using them for our own purposes. But the person themselves was as human as you or I. And so the film really shows that juxtaposition of what everyone sees in Cockrum. He was the man that did what's going to happen. But as a man himself, he was just a guy. Uh, it was purely accidental in his life. It just so happened. And so it was nice to actually see that, that juxtaposition of of uh, him as a historical figure and him as a guy. And uh, I think they, they pitched that quite nicely. Yes, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, the, uh, James Cromwell in Your Universe is the actor who uh, portrayed him. Um, but would it interest you to know that the original person it was written for was an actor called Tom Hanks? Um, would you really? Think, would you think that you would uh, approach the character differently had he been portrayed in as different? Um, I, I think Tom, knowing Tom Hanks and the way that he acts and the way that he portrays roles, I, I think they did the right thing going with Cromwell. Um, I, I think Tom Hanks. The problem with Tom Hanks is is that he is Tom Hanks wherever he goes. Um, he's Tom Hanks in a pilot's outfit. He's Tom Hanks in a FedEx outfit. He's Tom Hanks. With an accent, he's just Tom Hanks. But I think you need someone with, with so many roles. You you do often need somebody who's gonna let you forget who they are and think about who the, what the role they're playing is. I think they did well um, getting somebody who was less renowned. I think I think getting Tom Hanks would have probably just been to attract an audience. But when you've got Patrick Stewart, you don't really need to have. Yeah. Tom Hanks. So it's like we've already got an actor. We're fine. We're we've, right. we've got one. We've got we've got a real. A real, you know, Shakespearean trained actor with <laughs> Tom Hanks, but it may have been for the American audience. It's so very true. Very true. There's always that consideration. Um, obviously, uh, uh, Data jumps down and takes full bullets to the chest, and he's absolutely fine. Um, it does uh, have a conversation just before that where it's Picard and Data, and they're sort of they're touching the rocket, and it's about feeling a connection <laughs> yes. to history and that sort of things. Um, did that ever ring true with you watching this movie, either mm. now or back in the past? Yeah, um, I, I do. I do like, and of course, what you always see in these these kind of films when you've got like sci-fi and or, or any kind of film, and you, and you want to be able to connect to the audience, and so you give them somebody like Data who needs to be explained what's going on, why this matters, so that the, they can tell us as the audience. And I, and I actually did quite like um, Picard's because, of course. It's all sci-fi to us, but for Picard, it is history, the foundational history that made the Federation what it was. And so, yeah, seeing somebody of his renown, his experience, almost looking at him like a child in awe of something, and then just seeing him place his hand on the on the on the rocket, I think, yeah, it kind of makes you realise, well, you know, this is a, a man who has found himself humbled by something. You know, it, I suppose it would be if, if, if you were right. Well, not you, because of course you're 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 in the future. But you know, if, if of course I were to you know go back in in time and stand next to the Titanic as it's about to you know be launched, I think if I were just just to touch it and say I, I'm feeling history, yeah, there's definitely something there because I think as Picard mentions, you know, when you feel it, when you're physically touching it, you're connected more to it. And uh, Data doesn't understand that because of course he is pure pure logical processes. I suppose that's the difference, isn't it, between humans and, and robots. And I think we see this in the Matrix movies as well. Um, to deny our physical, emotional selves is to deny the very thing that makes us human. And so, 
I suppose I'm contradicting myself in many ways, but <laughs> the way that I think about things. But yeah, having that physical connection with something, just touching it, feeling that it's there, you're experiencing it in a different way. You're not just knowing it abstractly, you're knowing it personally, intimately, physically. And like any kind of relationship, you kind of relationship with another person unless you are in their physical presence, shake their hand, or touch elbows as we are currently doing in this current time. Um, you, know, you can't know a person unless you're in their physical presence. And I suppose for, for Picard, he doesn't now just know it from history, his own history. He knows it from his own personal experience. And I think that's a, that's a beautiful moment, and especially made more poignant by the fact that Data doesn't understand it. Mm-hmm. I think that's the point, because of course we're Data, we don't understand it because we're abstractly watching it, but through Picard we can appreciate what he's doing because we respect Picard, and I think everybody would like to have Picard as their uncle, so <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think we can appreciate that. Well, you've, you've mentioned not be, uh, seeing the Picard TV show. Um, if you ever get to see it, I think uh, just based on that, uh, everyone wants him as a relative. That, yeah. that does actually kind of play into some of it so do nice. do give it a look just based on that idea um, so we move on and uh, Picard goes back up to the ship uh, just because they're, they're wondering what's going on there seems to be something wrong with the environmental controls so he has to get back up there yes. so yes, now there we've had a definite split in the crew we've got Riker's team down on the planet trying to find Zephyrin and now we've got Picard back on the ship and they are completely separate for the rest of the movie of course before this happens uh, if, if I'm allowed to mm, just, just yeah. butt in one thing which I did I did enjoy and I wanted to um, <laughs> I wanted to comment um when Picard asked the date uh, as 2063, it is 10 years after the end of World War Three. Of course, everyone is all about World War Three, and it just—I just couldn't help but remember the scene from um, Lisa's wedding episode in The Simpsons, where she's um, engaged to an English guy who she brings to Moe's tavern, and then Moe says to him, "An English boy, eh? You know, we saved your ass in World War Two." And then he replies, "Yes, well, we saved yours in World War Three." And Moe replies, "That's true." <laughs> <laughs> has to be my favourite favourite scene in The Simpsons of all time um, and I think I would have liked to know what um, the Star Trek interpretation of World War 3 would have been um, and who it would have been between what would have caused it and how anybody would have survived it but I mean that's just a, just a side point obviously I cannot divulge any, no. any details oh, uh, temporal to prime directive unfortunately but uh, to, to say that um, uh, there is the Discovery series which is also on uh, Netflix as well, yes. which has shown us some footage from a head oh, really? camcorder of World War Three happening, and some sort of red angel-looking alien appearing at some point. So oh, who knows? Maybe nice. there's more context there. But um, but yeah, World War Three was um, was uh, a very dark time in uh, your future history and my past. Oh. So there we go. Um, Lily is also taken up because she is suffering from radiation poisoning. So, so now she has moved up, and Zephyrin yeah. remains on the planet as well. Um, I feel sorry for the engineer Paul. <laughs> um, I, you know, I was there was a moment where I was thinking, oh wow, they're really expanding this uh, this you know this cast of, of characters. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah, sorry, he's Paul. Dead. He's dead. <laughs> he's dead. <laughs> I think we can we can officially include yellow shirting as uh, as. as as a term oh yes a, absolutely for one scene only yeah but, it uh, depends on what era you're in you know red shirts are the old series is, and then you know yellow shirts for the new eras it just it works out that way but yes I'm so glad you started there because now we sort of move into a different tack so far we've had 
a war movie from First Contact. Obviously, that happens before what we've already had. So it's gone from war movie to some almost like a I don't know a weird retro uh, period piece, a time travel piece, and now it's mm. become two separate movies. There's a comedy element on the planet, and there's a mm. horror movie going up uh, in orbit. Yeah, yeah, because the the Borg are definitely a horror sci-fi horror. Um, do you feel that they, they pulled that off in this movie? Do you actually feel that there was uh, a terror to well, the Borg? Well, yes and no. I mean, the, the Borg are a funny, a funny bunch because, um, as, as we've discussed um, previously, the, the Borg enable you to get that zombie dread, that zombie terror in a sci-fi environment, which which is brilliant. I mean, you know, when, when you consider all the different kinds of villains in, in movies and stories, the zombies are terrifying because they are mindless uh, you know if you're fighting vampires they want something they want blood they, they they can't be in the daylight they want blood there's probably going to be somebody in charge there's this bizarre hierarchical structure they they, they can't stand you know crucifixes or, or whatever it is daylight garlic there's a there's a a strategy about about vampires. If you're fighting aliens, there'll be a hierarchical structure. There'll be a boss. There'll be a general. There'll be a queen. There'll, there'll be something. So you could say, well, let's go for the head to kill the body. The Borg do not operate in that way at all because that's because zombies do not operate in that way. You could kill a thousand zombies and a million more will just burst through your door because of the nature of zombies. They are a mindless force. Um, it, it, they, they're um, a term we've once used before for this kind of enemy. They, they are a flood. They're not. They're not an arrow. They're a flood, um, and that's what makes zombies terrifying. And to be able to place that into a sci-fi setting, I think, is genius. I mean, it, it, it's it's a great piece of sci-fi writing to actually think, well, how could we create a zombie in space? And I think, yeah, they did a great job creating uh, the Borg. They are they are truly terrifying because they are mine. They don't they don't care. They're not evil at all. They are just a force. Um, the problem, I think, and I've I've seen people talk about this in the past, is as the as the the, the stories and the movies and the shows progressed, the the Borg became less threatening. Uh, you know, they they had to invent ways to make them scary because sudden because oh, we can actually kill them. We we can we can do things now. You know, we don't need to run away from them anymore. And and so there's this odd bit, and I did find this in in First Contact. This odd bit of both dread and anticipation of what's going to be the dreadful moment because there are points when they're just walking amongst them. Oh, it's okay. We're not a threat. What? Why would they not consider you? Why wouldn't they assimilate you, even though you're not a threat? That's the whole point of this. And then other points where they're shooting. Oh, we can get twelve shots off for them before they can adapt to our phases. Oh, now we've got two shots before they can adapt. You're just changing the rules to make to raise the stakes. I'm gonna run into a hollow deck and get a holograph Tommy gun, and that's gonna work. However, we're not going to actually get terrestrial weapons because then this would be too easy. Oh, and data can't be killed by a terrestrial weapon. So it, it did feel very much like they had to change the rules constantly in order to maintain the threat. Because the reality is if the Borg were a real menace, all they would need to do is get a bunch of M16s or AK-47s and that's it. 
done. You know, the, yeah. the job's done. The show's over. The Borg are no longer a threat. Because, um, and, and I have to, I have to um, refer to Stargate um, on a couple of points. Two particular episodes. One episode, Small Victories, where the Asgard they need Sam Carter's help to fight the replicants because the replicants are immune to energy-based weaponry. They need terrestrial weaponry to fight them. But the Asgard are unable to think like humans. And so they have no understanding of, of human technology, which is why they need it. Now, that was, that was a very clever way to limit Asgardians in the battle against replicants. They couldn't think in that primitive way. I like that, but clearly the Federation can because he used the holodeck Tommy gun to do it. So that's got rid of that possible escape point. The other one was an episode, and I forget the um, death knoll, I think it was, where Sam Carter and her father, who is, who is now um, um, Tokra, they are doing some research and one of these new um, Anubis death killer drones is just decimating everything. Um, and they're basically primitive ghouls in an engineered body wrapped up in super powerful armor. However, they blow up like a nuke in its face. <laughs> and, and I remember Carter's father says, you can't ignore physics. No matter how strong they are, physics will always apply. And sometimes it, you kind of feel, well, well, are they kind of ignoring physics in order to make this enemy more dreadful and more terrifying? When surely there are some basic physics rules that you could use to, to fight these guys. And so it did feel at times with the Borg that they had to change the rules in order to maintain the stakes. Mm. That's a, a long answer. No, that's <laughs> perfect. Was a simple question. That's absolutely perfect. No, that's. I was going to be bringing up the holographic bullets. Um, you know, I felt that uh, yes, if if that's the way you get them, if if we're accepting that, yeah, they don't consider you a threat. Yeah, they're not going to touch you. Just provoke them every couple of seconds. Invite them into the holodeck and just shoot. shoot them. You know, a barrel barrel shoot them all the way through. Yeah. My only thought was, what if because the Borg adapt. They have never adapted to have physical armor. Bullets move at a slower rate. Maybe they can make their way through a shield. Um, thinking of Stargate, I have watched a few other programs on this device that Q left me with. Um, wasn't there an episode where uh, they could throw an object through a shield or gold shield? He could catch it because it was slower than an energy. Yeah, weapon. that was the episode that knocks. Yes. Um, and uh, that's exactly what it was. In fact, they, they cleverly did that. In, I've seen so much Stargate. <laughs> <laughs> What they actually do, in order to demonstrate that very point, you actually see um, O'Neill firing his M16, I think his M16 at the time, um, at uh, Apophis, and you see the orange glow of the shield um, blocking the bullets at, at the same time of, of, uh, of Apophis's uh, first prime, throwing him um, the, the staff. Um, at which point, um, sorry, and then later on, O'Neill says to Carter, did you see how easily he caught the staff whilst I was shooting him? Then they realised that the shields are speed, velocity based. Mm -hmm. And so they block faster um, missiles, but they don't block um, slower missiles, which is why they then have the second plan to use a bow and arrow, because that's slow enough to pass through 
they, they, they surmised it was so to pass through the shield. Um, yeah, possibly that could have been done in the same way with the Borg. They could have adapted to that. Um, but again, that's who knows. It was never you know? mentioned. It was never, never mentioned. mentioned. I mean, it would have been cool to maybe have like a um, a scene just where they start growing armor. So they've adapted. So you start to see their armor shift. Yeah. So it makes it look like they've adapted to bullets. So we can't use that anymore. Yeah. Um, but no, it, it which would definitely thing. make it more terrifying because no matter yeah. what we use, they'll always adapt. They that that always would adapt. Be, that would certainly make it more terrifying. Absolutely. Um, there's another conversation now. Lily um, uh, was left alone and she managed to escape from the Doctor, uh, and she was reawoken in, in sick bay. Nice little callback to Voyager, I thought, with the Doctor being I activated. Love, I love. Now you you probably know this yourself. Was that the first time that he was shown in, in Trek? Um, not in Trek. The, um, the Doctor had already been um, uh, established. Um, one big Steve joined this conversation. We've got someone coming in. Oh, is someone in? Oh, is someone in? Is someone in? Oh, is someone in? Is someone in? Something's wrong. The device is starting to morph, change, I don't know how. It's, it's pulling in another guest. It seems to be creating some sort of time loop. Attempting to be sensor. Original sin, anti-pentathon balls. There's a new one. Uh, it says it reset. Uh, I'm going to it, sir. Howdy, Dan. Oh, like to contact the show there's now a twitter account search temporal trek podcast at rider underscore coattail or contact me directly at hitch underscore daniel i'm also on instagram daniel underscore hitch underscore writer there's also a website with all of the timestamps you need to follow along go to ridingcoattails.simplesite.com and click the Temporal Trek page link. The show is always going to be free, there's no Patreon at all. But if you wish to financially contribute to the show, feel free to find my books by searching me, Daniel Hitch, on Amazon. And we'll catch you in the next time stream. <laughs>